sometimes all you actually want for Christmas is normality you know just a normal fairly happy time with some friends or family no surprises no tragedies no sad news uh, just normal and I know that uh, here at St Bridget's more than enough people have had tough Christmases perhaps last year or the year before was your first year without your husband or wife or your mum or dad and some in our church family are dealing with much more recent sad news. I can remember a couple of eventful uh, Christmases of my own. One I've told you about already. Uh, if you were here when I first arrived at St. Bridget's, uh, you know that I once uh, set my head on fire on Christmas Day and uh, ate my roast dinner from a Tupperware on the way to A&E. Uh, if you didn't hear that story, all I can say is if you've got any unwrapped cans of spray deodorant at home, don't put them on the fire. Uh, the other eventful Christmas was four years ago when our boy Felix was born. Uh, we were the last to leave a, a lovely Christmas dinner with some friends on the 19th of December. Uh, that was the first time I'd ever eaten lobster. Lovely. Um, I was chatting away to the host as everyone else left, you know, chatting and chatting, and eventually Rebecca was sort of giving me the eyes. You know, we've got to go... And I was mentally saying, yeah, hang on a minute, until eventually she made it clear we had to go because her waters had just broken. Um, so uh, anyway, we got up to the hospital. We were given this wonderful room on the edge of the River Thames, overlooking the Houses of Parliament. We could see all the party lights down on the river. Uh, and Felix was born safely, and he had his first Christmas uh, at four days old. But Mary and Joseph got there long before us. Jesus, obviously, is the original Christmas baby. Uh, and there's a little political element to his birth story too. Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph travelled from Nazareth to Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, because the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, had issued a decree requiring citizens to go and register themselves in their own towns. So Joseph and Mary travelled down to Bethlehem. Maybe it was on a donkey, Bible doesn't say. Now the story goes uh, that she was about to give birth to, uh, she's about to give birth, sorry, and uh, having rushed round all the travel lodges and the Hilton hotels in town, uh, getting angry looks from horrible innkeepers, uh, Mary and Joseph end up in this stable full of animals just in time. Uh, in, in fact, uh, if you have a look at chapter 2, verse 6 of Luke's Gospel, Luke tells us it was while they were there that the time came for her to have her baby. So by that point, it seems likely they'd already have found a place to stay, probably with one of Joseph's family members. It was his town. Uh, verse 7 does tell us there was no room in the inn, but uh, nowadays the word inn uh, is understood to be best translated as guest room. That's what it's usually used for elsewhere in the Bible. So it's possible that what was going on is Joseph's relatives were putting up quite a few people and in their small house to get some space and privacy for the birth, Joseph and Mary moved to an empty room, maybe a stable, maybe even a cave nearby to have the baby, which is why when he was wrapped in cloths, Jesus was laid down in a manger, an animal feeding box. Now, could there be a more striking contrast the great and glorious emperor of Rome, ruler of the known world, dwelling in some magnificent palace in Rome, 
and Jesus born in a backwater of the Roman Empire, in a room used for animals, and laid down to sleep, not on silk, but on straw. Um, if you were following the World Cup, uh, I guess when Lionel Messi was born, no one knew he would grow up to be the greatest footballer in history of the game. Or when Vladimir Zelensky, the comedian, was born, who knew he would grow up to lead the nation during war with Russia? And the sight of a baby lying in a dirty manger wouldn't immediately fill anyone with hope. Whereas archaeologists have found an inscription about the celebration of the day Caesar Augustus was born, which is described, that day it's described in the inscription as the beginning of the good news about the divine saviour who has brought peace to the world, so that this is a day on which Augustus deserves to be worshipped. But on the outskirts of Bethlehem, an angel appears and he knows different. The shepherds are out in the fields at night protecting their flocks, eyes wide open, adjusted for the dark, keeping a lookout for wolves, when they're suddenly blinded by the appearance of a messenger from heaven. And this angel tells them in verse 10, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And then the skies erupt in praise as a whole company of angels singing Gloria in excelsis Deo appear. Glory to God in the highest, they sing. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favour rests. Luke says the glory of the Lord shone around those angels. The glory of the divine presence. And yet the shepherds were not to remain there gazing at the sky. They were told to go into the town and find instead a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. A baby who is the true saviour, who is the Christ, which means the king, God's chosen king. A baby who is the Lord, the Old Testament title for God. The most amazing thing they saw that night wasn't the glory of the Lord in the sky, but the glory of the Lord in a baby boy. There in the manger was Israel's true saviour, true king, true God, Jesus. And the shepherds were invited to his birth as a sign that he's come for ordinary people. All are welcome at his manger throne to worship and adore him. And not only to adore him, but also to proclaim him, to announce his birth to the world. Verse 17 tells us, when the shepherds had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. Imagine hearing their message, a whole cohort of angels lighting up the sky to announce his birth, declaring him to be Israel's saviour and king and lord, and their proclaiming was mixed with praising. They were filled with joy. Look at verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for the things they had heard and seen, which had been just as they had been told. The peace of Caesar Augustus, the peace the Roman Empire maintained, was a peace enforced at the end of a sword. But the angels announced that through Jesus would come the peace of God a peace which means the end of war, the end of violence, the end of oppression, 
the overthrowing of sin and of Satan and of death. A peace which will spread to encompass all of God's chosen people around the world, bringing us into one united family, a family united to one another and united to God through Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Now you may be uh, looking forward to a fun-packed, family-filled afternoon or something a bit quieter. You may be looking ahead to stressful time in the kitchen or a quiet drink and a Christmas film. You may just be hoping to get through the day. But we are here now to hear again the great glad tidings that in Jesus our Saviour was born, a baby given to us to create joy and lasting peace. His work is not yet done, but he is the Lord, and we know that he is able to save us all, because nothing is impossible with God. And everyone is invited to come to him. Whatever's going on in your life today, come to him, knowing that from him we will all receive his everlasting peace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Prince of Peace, we thank you for this day to celebrate your birth, to praise and glorify your name, to rejoice with shepherds and angels, with Mary and Joseph, at the wonder of God come to earth to bring true peace, true salvation, by establishing your kingdom and calling all your children home. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were born like one of us to give us a joy that nothing can spoil, that nothing can cause to fade. Thank you that you are alive forever and that our life is now bound up with yours for eternity. Amen.